Let it be pleasing to thee through the Lord Jesus Christ and by the sanctifying grace of the Holy Spirit. Be with us. Acts chapter 2 you read last week in preparation. I'm going to say some things today about John chapter 7 that may sound a little extreme. The prophecy of our Lord Jesus Christ in those three verses is a transcendent, exceeding great promise and prophecy of the sending of the Holy Spirit upon believers after and upon the day of Pentecost, but still upon us 2,000 years later, the presence of God with his people forever, not only dwelling with them, not only visiting them from time to time, but dwelling in them and dwelling in them forever. It's an incredible, earth-shaking, world-turning-upside-down event because the consequences of what happened at Pentecost turned the world upside down. And to call that little prophecy that the Lord only spent one verse on, and John wrote verse 39 to explain what he meant in verses 37 and 38, to call it transcendent and world-changing is not overstating the case. Let me show you. Here is the fulfillment in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. Acts chapter 2. You know what has taken place. They were all with one accord in one place. The sound of a rushing mighty wind filled the house. They had cloven tongues of fire on their heads. They spake in at least 15 different languages. Here they had those that were raised in those languages that knew the languages well, and they knew that the speakers were ignorant, uneducated Galilean fishermen from the Sea of Galilee, 70 miles north of Jerusalem, the backwoods, the redneck area of Israel. And they wonder at what's going on, and they accuse them possibly of being drunk. The apostle Peter explains that it'd be difficult to be drunk since it's 9 o'clock in the morning. And here is his explanation, the fulfillment of John 7, verse 16. But this is that. What you are seeing on their heads, the cloven tongues of fire, and what you are hearing with your ears, the wonderful works of God being declared in at least 15 different languages very eloquently by uneducated fishermen, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above, and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before that great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen and amen. Amen. Remember the rule of Bible hermeneutics called prophetic perspective. Prophetic perspective means from the prophet's perspective. And so when you look at verse 
17, it shall come to pass. That's a future tense verb construction. It shall come to pass. I will pour out of my spirit. That's future tense. Your daughters shall prophesy. Future tense. Your young men shall see visions. Future tense. Your old men shall dream dreams. Future tense. It's all future tense. But that's because, that's because Peter is quoting Joel accurately. Joel wrote it in the future tense. Because it was only future to Joel. It was present tense to Peter because he said so in verse 16. This is. Is is a present tense form of the verb to be. This is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. So I just want to remind you of that, that when you see the future tenses, and there's so many today confused, thinking that Peter was prophesying of a future event, but he wasn't. He was explaining the fulfillment of a past prophecy. And it makes a huge difference. But what I really want from this passage are verses 19 and 20. In order for you to see that Peter and the Holy Spirit considered this a transcendent, world-changing, turning-upside-down event. Because look at the words that are used. I will show wonders in heaven above. It's future tense, but it's being fulfilled by ignorant fishermen preaching in languages they never learned, which is the least gift God ever gave to the church. Because what they're going to do after that, this far exceeds the gift of tongues. I will, sh- I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before that great and notable day of the Lord come. Look at those two verses and the metaphorical extreme language that is used, apocalyptic type language that is used to describe this great change in the spiritual realm. Here is our problem. We walk by sight instead of by faith. But if we would walk by faith and not by sight, we would realize that the greatest events in the universe occur outside of our vision. The things that we cannot see are eternal and significant. The things that we can see are temporal and insignificant. These are things that cannot be seen, but the apostle describes them in the apocalyptic language of things you could see that would utterly confound your mind. But it was utterly confounding to have God coming down on earth and indwelling a large number of people on the day of Pentecost. And it was going to last from from then forever. And we are still the beneficiaries of it today. We don't need their gifts because they wrote the New Testament for us. And so we have the perfect law of liberty and we have everything to make the man of God perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. So as we look at John 7... And as I try to stir you up that this is a very important, significant, transcendent prophecy, remember, the Bible thinks so too. This kind of language, this apocalyptic language of verses 19 and 20, let me remind you of a couple of examples. Isaiah 13. Isaiah 13 has this kind of language verse after verse. The sun's going to stop shining. The moon's not going to give her light. The constellations of heaven are going to be thrown down. The earth is going to be overthrown. And what's it describing? The Medes and the Persians defeating Babylon. Because that was an earth-changing political event. This is an earth-changing spiritual event. 
And so we get the same kind of language. We move over to the book of Haggai. Haggai the prophet, and in chapter 2, the Lord said, I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I'm going to shake it all. When? And the desire of all nations shall come to the second temple. When Jesus of Nazareth came to the temple built by Zerubbabel, added on to by Herod the Great, that was an earth-shaking spiritual event. It did away with the Old Testament covenant of the Jews, and it brought in the New Testament covenant of the Lord Jesus Christ. The desire of all nations, they had waited 4,000 years from the promise made to Eve that her seed would destroy the serpent's head. He had arrived. And he tore the veil from top to bottom. That was a huge event. And so it was called a shaking of the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and it was fulfilled 2,000 years ago. We know that because that temple that was under consideration in context there was destroyed 2,000 years ago. And Paul said that passage was fulfilled when he explained it in Hebrews chapter 12. It brings us to John the Baptist. John the Baptist says, He that is coming after me is mightier and greater than I. I'm not worthy to loose his shoe, latch it, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. In that order. And the baptism of the Holy Spirit is right here. And the baptism of fire was 40 years later when he burned up the city of Jerusalem. Because John said the fan is already in his hand and he's prepared to cut down this Jewish tree and cast it into the fire, which took place. And then to make sure that you understand the great notable day of the Lord in verse 20 as being the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD, look at verse 40. This is, this is a summary of Peter's first sermon on the day of Pentecost. And with many other words, did he testify and exhort. This was a large part of the body and content of Peter's sermon, save yourselves from this untoward generation. We can't save ourselves from etern eternal hell. That's the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. But they could save themselves from the Romans that would be coming to destroy that nation, that city, and that temple for what they did to the Son of God. And so that should keep us in a proper perspective. The gifts are going to get much greater after Pentecost. In just a couple of chapters, we're going to find people being healed by the shadow of Peter, let alone Peter preaching in some other language. The gift of tongues is hardly a gift at all. It's the least gift in the church. Remember at the Tower of Babel, thousands of reprobates spoke in tongues. They all spoke in languages they had never learned before. And, but this was great. For the time, but just looking at the gift of tongues by itself, Peter and the Holy Spirit bring to bear Joel chapter 2, verses 28 through 32, and show its fulfillment. This is that. And those verses 19 and 20, with their apocalyptic language of our known universe being drastically altered, reflect the great alteration of God's dealings with his people. Instead of of being shut off with that veil and only the high priest going behind it once a year. We can go into the presence of God wide open anytime, man, woman, and child in this assembly, and we have him dwelling in us. Not that we have to go to a prophet who may have had a vision from him. We, we have him in us, with us, and his candlestick, the presence of the Holy Spirit, is in our church today. We're greatly blessed. It is a transcendent event that the infinite God, Jehovah by name, dwells in men by His Spirit through Jesus Christ our Lord. And thus, 
John 7 deserves our attention. Let us pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we thank Thee through the Lord Jesus Christ for what we just read and that we can understand it because You've made it so simple and plain. We have no agenda to fulfill. We read Your Word and we believe it. If Your chosen apostle, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, filled with that Spirit in the day of Pentecost, declared that this was the fulfillment of Joel chapter 2, we believe it. We understand the future tense was Peter quoting accurately. It was future to Joel, present to Peter, past to us. But, O Lord, we thank Thee that in verse 39, the promise of the Holy Ghost was not only to them, but also to their children. And it has extended through the generations to us that You are with us by Your Spirit through Jesus Christ our Lord. We thank Thee for the Spirit of Christ in us as we've already prayed this morning, bearing witness with our spirit that we are the sons of God, causing us to cry, Abba, Father, shedding abroad in our hearts Your love for us. We thank Thee for His power and we pray for His strength and might in our inner men that we might know the length and height and depth and breadth of the love of Christ that passeth knowledge that we might be filled with all the fullness of God. O oh Lord, we see it. We read it. We sort of understand it. But we want to experience it. Forgive us for quenching or grieving your spirit. Forgive us for not drinking. Forgive us for trying to satisfy our thirst with this world. Forgive us for trying to satisfy our thirst in the flesh. O oh Lord, Forgive us for trying to satisfy our thirst with just doctrine, with just the church. Oh Lord, let us see Christ and satisfy our thirst with Him. And may the Spirit of God today bear witness and show and give glory and magnify the Lord Jesus Christ to us. Forgive us our sins and our sinfulness. Both are problems. We confess our sins, the things that we have thought, said, and done that displease Thee, the things that we should have thought, said, and done that we didn't that displease Thee, and the lust for those things, those sinful things that still is in us. Remember our frame and have mercy upon us. Like a good father pities his young children, O Lord, remember to pity us who fear You and love You. We pray this blessing that we ask for ourselves this day on every other true church of the Lord Jesus Christ throughout the world. Bless them, Heavenly Father, by your presence, by your Spirit. Stir up the man of God that he will declare the Word of God plainly and cause the hearers to understand it. Amen. Open the ears of those hearers that they will not only hear, but they will bow down their ear and that they will retain the things that they hear and that they will be doers of the Word and not hearers only, deceiving their own selves. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our nation, our rulers, the liberty, the prosperity, the protection that we enjoy. Preserve it and keep it. Heavenly Father, you know how you spoke to me in the last 12 hours about how dreadful it could be if we had a government committed against your religion. But we have a government that allows us free expression and free worship to declare the truth of your word 
and we will not compromise it. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Lord, be with those that can't be with us, that are traveling for business, that are sick at home. Strengthen them, protect them, and bring them back to us safely. We have a lot before us today, but, oh, Lord, you're able to feed it to us so that we can digest it and grow thereby. We lay aside all malice and envy, and we desire the sincere milk of the word. Feed us, Lord. Feed us, and we shall be fed. Bless us, and we shall be blessed. It's in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ we pray, thanking Thee for everything through Him. Amen.